on Wednesday nights about salvation. We covered several issues about salvation. Hopefully they were helpful and they were um, reminding you of the importance of salvation. And it is God's salvation. Therefore, we rejoice in it. And so, some other things to talk about salvation. I touched a little bit about this Sunday morning at 1045. And this is about predestination and free will. Predestination and free will. Does God determine in eternity that he will save you no matter what you do? Or will he not save you no matter what you do? If you want to be saved, you'll not be saved because in eternity, you weren't determined to be saved. Or you will be saved against your will too. Both of them are wrong. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. And you will have arguments about that with some people who are called Calvinists and hyper-Calvinists. So it'll always be a debate. It'll always be an argument. Uh, as you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, the first time I introduced... One of the first times Tim went out knocking the door to the Pastor Matiki, he was my partner, and we knocked on three or four doors. We came to maybe the fifth or sixth door, and the fact the door's already open, it's apartment building, and there's a guy, uh, he came to the door, hey, what you guys doing? I'm passing out church invitations, I could give you one, okay. And I looked into the doorway to a desk, and he had a Bible that was open. And so along the way I said, oh, I see that you have a Bible there. You Christian? He said, I'm a Christian, yeah. And then we went to talk a little bit. And he began to talk about, now let me ask you this question. Very talkative guy. Let me ask you a question. He says, do you believe that um, a man can be saved by his own free will? And when he said that, now Tim is next to me. He's listening. When he said that, I thought to myself, okay, I think I know where this conversation is going. And he says, he says I think that God has pre predestined people to be saved or not saved. And then Tim looked at him, and his eyes got big, he looked at me. And I said, well, we see it differently from the Bible. He says, well, the Bible says this. And he said, let me get my Bible. When he gets his Bible off the desk, and he says, let me share a verse over here. He showed us a verse where the word has uh, predestination, like in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And I said, well, what about those verses? Now, see, the, the part of these conversations that it's going to be a debate back and forth. He gave me a verse. I said, what about this verse? Yeah, but this verse says, I said, okay, but this verse says this. After five minutes, I'm a good timer of minutes. If I said, I'm going to in five minutes, I'm going there in five minutes, or what time is it? It's eight o'clock, it's eight o'clock. I got a good sense about that. Not much sense about anything else. But about that, I got some sense. After about five minutes, I said, you know what? I feel like it's been predetermined that I leave your door right now. And Tim looked at me and went, you know, Tim's very expressive when he was able to be expressive. <laughs> and so we walked away. I said, you know what? We're getting to argument. I said, this is through this. We're going to go tell someone else about being saved. And so he said, oh, I said, bye. We just went away. And as we walked away, Tim says, what was that all about? I said, that's a Calvinist. A Calvinist is someone who believes in your predestination before you're born. And you're going to be saved. Or you're not going to say this been predetermined. I said that's not right. He says, "Oh man, that guy was that guy was aggressive." I said, "Well, you know, uh, we're not going to waste time with a person like that because his mind is already made up." So I said, "Let's go talk to someone else whose mind may not be already made up." That's a Calvinist, and I will say that when you talk to a Calvinist, you will get very aggravated, very frustrated, and very much like this is a waste of time. 
And the times I've talked to someone about these things, it has been very frustrating. I feel like I've been going around in a washing machine or taking apart a washing machine, trying to put it back together again with all the tools and parts. It's like, oh. And uh, so we're going to always have that argument. It's always going to be that way. So I just say, you know what? We see it differently. We think and we believe upon the Bible, a man can choose. Come to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 verse number 1. Let's work our way down through verse number 6. Or maybe further. We get at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him, watch carefully, before the foundation of the world. Now right there, you can see, perhaps, that there is God choosing someone before they're born, in eternity, before the world was created, before the universe was created, that he chose them before the foundation, because it says that. The question is, what did he choose us to? What did God choose us to in eternity? According as he had chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, what did he, they all read into it, chose, chosen to salvation, predetermined to be saved. But is that what the verse is saying? Chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. To be what? To be what? To do, to do what and to be what? To be saved, personal salvation, is that what he's talking about? Look at verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be saved. Is that what he says? That we should be born again? No, that we should be something. We should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, it does not say that we are chosen to be saved before the foundation of the world, but that we are chosen to be a certain way. That's a big difference, that we should be. The plan of God in eternity was for Christians, for saved people, to be holy, without blame before Him, to be pure, to be righteous before Him, to be received, accepted by Him, because of, you wrote, that doesn't say it all that there, but it doesn't say you are chosen to be saved, to be born again. Look at verses, uh, verse number five. Having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, having predestined us to be saved, well, it has been predestined, predetermined, that unworthy sinners were chosen as unworthy sinners in God's will to be saved. Well, is that what he says? But it does say that we are chosen, we are predestined, uh, he has predestined us, first time unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. So it is by Christ, if we get saved, we're saved, we're adopted by Him, by His Spirit. It doesn't say anything about chosen to be saved. It says, this is how you're saved. This is who saves you. This is what you become. It's like you're adopted. It's by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure. It also says that it is predestined that God takes pleasure... It is his will to do this because he derives pleasure from adopting you. So when you get saved, you are adopted, and God takes pleasure in that happening. The adoption process is pretty unique for each state, but the child who is adopted 
and he realizes that he belongs to a new family, he has a new life, he has a new opportunity, all of these good things happen to him. Um, he realizes what a blessing it is for me to be adopted by this couple and to, for me to call them my parents and for them to call me their child. It's a great blessing and it gives pleasure to God the Father who has said, I will adopt. When I save someone, I will adopt them as children. Look at verses uh, 6 and 7. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It has been predetermined that God will save people, save sinners, by His grace through the shed blood of His Son. That has been predetermined. Redemption has been predetermined. This is how it's going to be. This is how man will be saved from his sins. It's by my son, Jesus Christ. And so the basis of redemption was made possible by the cross of Christ. And the potential of personal salvation is there because it was paid uh, by Christ on the cross. And so uh, redeem, redemption. Redeem means to buy back the old uh, notion from Paul's time, looking at the first century market where they sold slaves. A slave was bought for a price by another person, by another landowner or another wealthy person. And when he bought that slave, that slave is not his. Now, if he chooses to set that slave free, he can do that because he has rightfully bought the slave, paid the price, and now he owns him, and now he does something with him. Either he will serve him or he will set him free. But he's been bought back from the slave market of sin is the spiritual application. And so, according to his good pleasure, he does that and he is pleased by doing that with people who are sinful. They don't deserve it, but by his grace, he has predetermined, this is how I will set sinners free from their sin and I will give them so many blessings and they will so glorify me because I have done this for them. And that has been predetermined. That is what God has said will happen, and this is how I will do it. Uh, verses 89, 8 and 9, not verse 89. Verses 8 and 9. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So the Lord says, I will do this. Here's how I will do it. This will be the basis for man's redemption. And when they get saved, they will glorify me. Speaking of glorify me, he says, according to his good pleasure. And so the eternal plan of God is to do this in a certain way. It's really too deep for the human mind to comprehend. It's too complicated. It's too intricate. It's too much, too amazing how everything works together. What we're told is that he did it to please himself. So his plan of salvation, we rejoice in God's salvation. It is so intricately put together and all the details of prophecy all the workings out of Abraham Isaac and Jacob coming into uh, the birth of Christ and the lineage and all these things the typologies of um, the Old Testament, the sacrifice, all these things working together, it's like who could have put this all together well in eternity God says no, let me do this like that, it would be so perfect it would be so well put together it would be, when people try to examine salvation, they're going to they're not going to get it, but they will see enough to know that man could not have done it. And I will get glory, and I will get praise for this, and I am pleased that this is how it's going to work out. And so, uh, according to his good pleasure, and because he is God, he does what pleases him, and what pleased him 
was not selfish because he was for the benefit of all of mankind and also because of people getting saved in eternity they will continue to glorify him let's look at verse number 10 and 11 10 and 11 and then we'll get to some verses about uh, salvation 10 and 11 that in the dispensation and the fullness of times we might gather together in one all things in Christ and you want to notice the wording here he might gather in the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ it sure sounds like he's going to gather all the saved together at one certain time both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him now it sounds like he will gather one at a particular time those who are in heaven and those who are not in heaven yet but will be because they're all saved he will gather them all like a great assembly perhaps verse 11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will now this is the second or third time he emphasizes god has done something according to his own will and purposes in eternity and because it pleases him it's like he just did it a certain way and he smiled at himself because it was so wise and so perfectly constructed it is foolproof it is infallible and it's according to his good pleasure and that's what was predestinated he says in verse number 10 that all will be gathered together all the redeemed in Christ and when that happens everyone will eventually together like one gigantic chorus one gigantic choir bring praise and glory to God now uh, all things ultimately work together according for his good purposes and so look at verse number 12 that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ now you have to have trusted in Christ to be saved that knocks out the notion that you were predestined to be saved you have to trust in Christ to be saved that's a choice that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ and so in verse 12 the redeemed the redeemed they have to trust Christ to be saved that we the redeemed should be the praise of his glory so it I get this image of one day in heaven all the saved who are there and all those who are yet to be there us and many millions of others will get together at one place in heaven and that we would be the praise of his glory so it seems like there'll be one gigantic mass of millions and millions and millions of saints giving glory to God and praising God and um, that's like that the glorification of Christ by the redeemed seems to be the centerpiece of the praising of God in eternity now centerpiece I think of trophies sometimes people have a trophy case a trophy case uh, Chris Malfala has a trophy case in his home where he lives and I saw his trophy case he has several trophies from high school he has several awards from college he has several he has a Pittsburgh Steelers helmet that is pretty heavy he's got a Pittsburgh Steelers football at the centerpiece of his trophy case is this the football helmet from the Pittsburgh Steelers that is the centerpiece of his trophy that is his short NFL career of seven years that one thing takes up all the attention of the trophy case 
other trophies and little things are noticeable. But the thing that's very noticeable is the centerpiece of that trophy case, the steamer's helmet. The centerpiece of attention to him will be when all the saints get together and glorify God all at one time, perhaps. That'll be someday. Look at verse 13. In whom you also trusted. Now in verse 13, you will see the order in which a person got saved. Again, this is saying you're not predestined to be saved because there's an order in which you got saved. This had to have happened before you got saved. Verse 13, in whom you also trusted after, well, that's number two then. That's the second step. You trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. So you heard the gospel given, may have been several times, but you heard the gospel given, the death and resurrection of Christ. You heard about the, the sinful person you are. You heard about the penalty of sin. You heard about how Christ died for your sins and how he can forgive you. And you said, oh, I believe that. Can I get saved? You trust in Christ only for your salvation. So you had, you had heard the gospel, verse 13. You believed, which is the equivalent of trusting. And then after that, number four, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So that took place on earth by you hearing the gospel, giving time for someone to give you the gospel, maybe in church, personal witness, a tract, and you paid attention to it. And the Lord convicted your heart and you wanted to receive Christ. So that's when you got saved. So that doesn't mean that's contradictory to I was saved in eternity no matter what I do. You got saved because you heard the gospel, you believed, you trusted, and then you got saved and then you're sealed. So you were not saved in eternity before you had a choice in the matter. You did have a choice in the matter. And people who hear the gospel... They need to make a decision about that. They need to choose to receive Christ if they hear it. Because there may come a time in which it is not possible for you to get saved because you could get into an accident, lose the capacity in your mind to comprehend things. All kinds of things can happen. Or you can get caught up in sins and get so distracted by that that you won't listen to the gospel anymore. So people should get saved when they know that they should be saved. People should not wait until they feel like it. They, they should get saved when they know the facts about the gospel and their lost condition. And they should fear God in the sense that he can send me to hell rightfully so. So I better get saved because otherwise my sins will not be forgiven. I will not be born again. I will not be a child of God. I will not go to heaven one day. And so you heard and you believed. And that happens when you chose to receive Christ, that's when you got saved, all right? Exposure to the gospel is the first step. Having a tender heart about that, being honest with yourself, and seeing yourself as one who needs to be saved, and you're trusting Christ. Look at verse 14, which is Ephesians 1, 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The earnest of our inheritance when the Holy Spirit sealed you, it was like a guarantee that you get to heaven. It's the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession. So you are bought back from the slave market of sin. Christ owns you. The Holy Spirit sealed you. And he will keep you safe and secure until you get to heaven when it's going to be revealed at the day of redemption. 
What is that day of redemption? Is it going to be the day in which, uh, early in the verse, in which uh, verse 10 11, we're going to stand before Christ, all the, the saved in heaven and those on earth together one time, like a giant choir, and praise God. Would that be the day? Perhaps. One thing is for sure, you are saved and you're secure once you have trusted in Christ because the Holy Spirit seals you. So it's not dependent upon the individual to keep himself saved after he has believed. He is saved because he believed and because by nature of being saved, he cannot do anything to save himself or keep himself saved. So that is really important to understand. Now verse number 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Verse 10 reminds us that we will all gather together again in one. So predestination is not about personal salvation. It's about how, perhaps how you will be saved and who will save you because of what Christ did. That has been predetermined. There's no other way to be saved, but this is not about you're locked in, you're fixed to be saved just because God knows everything. No, not about that at all. And so personal salvation is when you respond to the gospel. You have to respond to the invitation. Uh, remember the verse in Acts 16, what must I do? What must I do? What must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 30, 31, the Philippians, what must I do? The answer that Paul gave was believe. Well, that's what Ephesians 1, 13 says, believe. You believe. Faith is believing. <coughs> Faith is just believing what God said he would do. He would never fail us. His promises are true. If we but receive him, his children would become. Faith is just believing. This wondrous thing is done. That's a little phonograph, uh, uh, flip song from uh, CEF, which is very true. Faith is just believing. Oh, it's too simple. Well, don't make it hard because it would be impossible to fulfill it when you make it hard. It would be too hard to, to do anyway. And so it's just by faith. What must I do? Believe. And so that's when you guys say, and thou shalt be saved. And that's the point of salvation. You're not predestined to be saved without your will, without you having a choice. You do have a choice. Now, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Watch over here now. Ephesians 2 verse number 1. Remember, you are not saved in eternity with your consent or without your consent. You are destined to be saved because God did, no, 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 no. Look at chapter two, verse number one. And you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. When did that happen? It happened in one thirteen. When you heard, you trusted, you believed. That's when it happened. And you hath he quickened. You remember the Bible says in Romans chapter one, Paul says, I'm not ashamed that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Well, that power is in effect when you believe. And it's the, the power of God to cause you to believe it. And then when you believe, he does the new birth act. The Holy Spirit does. And you have to quicken, give you new birth. Verse 1. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. When in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. Now you see, verses 1, 2, and 3, man within himself and his own nature is very sinful, very evil, but tends to do the grossest sins imaginable 
to other humans and to himself. But verse 4 is the transition, but God. But is a conjunctive saying, you know, there's a change of thought here. Something is gross, something is really evil, but God. So, but God, something happened in your life, but God stepped in, but God did something for you. You heard the gospel, and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be saved. But God, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. When did that happen? Chapter 1, verse 13. That's when it happened. When you heard the gospel, and when you believed it, when you trusted, when you were sealed. That's when that happened. So you were not saved in eternity um, without your choice. No, you got saved because you heard the gospel. Once again, you heard you believe, you trust it, and you got saved. That's the point in which you got saved. And that's when all of these things happen. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ. Now, in verse 7, in chapter 1, verse 10 of Ephesians, about the saints gathering together like one gigantic choir, not only one time, it appears to say in 2.7 that it would be continually throughout eternity that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It sure seems like it would be one praising God over and over and over again. And the Lord's going to be there just enjoying it because he can and he wants to. And we'll be glad to do that too because if it wasn't for Christ, we would not even be in heaven. And so we'd be glorifying God. And so you have here, uh, there's a time and a place in which you got saved. You were not predetermined. Do you think that things happen for a reason? Hmm? Probably true. Do you think there's good luck in life? Probably not. Do you think uh, hearing the gospel is just by luck or by coincidence? No. It's probably because the Lord's trying to get your attention. And when you hear things, about spiritual truth, you hear about Christ dying for your sins, it's not good luck, it's not coincidence, it is God trying to reach you, trying to get you to see your need for Christ. And so, Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, contains the theme of praising God in eternity. Have you ever been grateful for something someone's done for you? Have you ever thanked that person? But then you're so grateful you thank that person again? And again, and whenever you use that something, whenever you are enjoying something someone's given to you, some great thing that is just too expensive for you to even buy, and you just uh, are so grateful for it, you thank the person again. Sometimes you're on a thank you note, and you've already told the person verbally thank you, and you say, oh, thank you again for, you're expressing gratitude. And in heaven, saints are going to express gratitude to God for saving them. It will dawn on people in heaven that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his shed blood, his death on the cross, his atonement, they could not even be in heaven. So God is glorified because he saved us by his grace in the ages to come. Now the timing of when people get saved, the timing of people getting saved, lost people getting saved, there's a timing to all of this, uh, which is to say, to, as I begin to explain this point, that a man is not doomed to be unsaved. 
If a man is burned to get saved, he likely can become saved. He likely can turn to Christ. Now, uh, people who hear the gospel have a chance to be saved. People who hear the gospel and turn to Christ, their eternal destination is changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Why is he a new creature? Because he's in Christ. When did he get in Christ? When he received Christ at some point in his life when he heard the gospel and he believed on Christ and he got saved. That's when he became a new creature in Christ. And so the time to be saved is when people are alive. The timing of salvation, personal salvation, is when people are alive. When someone dies, they have no chance to make choices. They have no opportunity to make choices. When people die, they have passed many opportunities forever to change their minds. You know the story of Luke 16, how the rich man died and in hell he lived with his eyes being torment, and he changed his mind then. And speaking of that, there are no unbelievers in hell. There are no, there are no, there are no Christians in hell, but yet there are no unbelievers in hell. Everyone in hell believes in God because they realize it's dawned upon them. I have rejected Christ. I'm here where the Bible talks about. I am in this place where I cannot ever be relieved. And so all people who leave this world without Christ are not unbelievers. They are believers. Now the agnostics and the atheists, the people who think that their brain and their intellect is the all standard of everything. They even judge God because they're smart. Um, these are the people that say, well, if God is love, how come he let these things go on? How come he let people suffer? How come he let the Maui fire? How come that happened? Any kind of tragedy, national or personal, they say, if God is real, why didn't he stop or prevent this from happening? It's a common excuse. And uh, one of them, another common excuse is, well, if there's evil in this world and God is in control of everything, he must have created the evil. Those are all arguments that have an easy answer to. The thing to know is that people who come up with all these excuses to not be saved, they are really damning themselves. They're making an excuse for themselves to not believe. They're hardening their hearts like Pharaoh to not believe. Now, uh, invitations are given in the Bible. Did you know that there are invitations about to get saved? <laughs> That tells us that people are not doomed, locked in, to not be saved or to be saved without their choice. Imitations in the Bible. Can somebody find Isaiah 1, Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18? If you find it, I'll give you a dollar. Isaiah 1, 18. Find it and read it out loud so I can hear you. I'll give you a dollar. Read it, read it out loud. Timothy 1 no, he got you first, he beat you. Come now, let's read. That's an invitation. Come, 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 come now, come now. Come, an invitation. When you think about that, that's a very gracious, that's a very gracious invitation because it is God who was offended by our sins, and He's the one who invites you to come to Him. Sometimes you hear stories about people who killed 
uh, a son or daughter, and in court, the parents face the murderer. And in some cases, the parents, they have a chance to speak, and they say, we forgive you for what you have done. Now, that's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. You know, Isaiah 1 18, it's about, it's about God who has been offended, and he still says, come, come, come now. Let us reason together. That's a very generous, gracious invitation. The offended invites the offender to reconcile. That's called grace. Isaiah 1 18. It also says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, you also see, besides the grace of God, you see the potential for someone to be redeemed. There's a chance for someone to be redeemed because of what the verse says. God is inviting the sinners to come to him. That's much more grace than any human can muster toward another human who has been offended, uh, offended him. And so that's a great verse. Potential to be redeemed. Therefore, there's a choice here. Person hears it, believes it, gets saved. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Another invitation. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. I have another doll to give away. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Timothy's hand up first. Wait a minute, he didn't find it. Joseph? Okay, that's an invitation. That is an invitation. Come unto me. Come unto me. Well, he also said one time, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That's an invitation. John 7.37 Now, somebody find John 21, verse number 12. When I say go, John 21, 12. Ready, go. Invitations that Jesus gave. There. Uh, let's see, okay. When I say go again, ready? There's three of you. Ready, get set, go. There. No, okay, look. When I say go, raise your hand. Ready, set, go. John can report you to one time. Did I say? John 21, 12. Okay. Come and dine. That's an invitation. And I want to say eat fish. But that is also to remind us that he gave an invitation for personal salvation. So invitations are given in the New Testament by Jesus himself. That is to say, you are not doomed to be lost or doomed to be saved without choice. You have a choice to make. Now come to Revelation 22, 17, everyone. 22, 17. No dollar for that. It's I'm out of money already. Twenty-two seventeen. You raise your hand when you found it, and then we'll read together. Okay, still waiting. Twenty-two seventeen. Raise your hand when you find it. Okay, let me read it. You follow, and the spirit and the bride say, "Come," and let him that heareth say, "Come." And let him that is a thirst come. 
And whosoever will, there's a good word, whosoever, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Don't you see a choice in that verse? Don't you see an invitation? Come, if you're thirsty, come. This is the last book and the last chapter of Revelation. And um, there's an invitation there by the bride. The Spirit and the bride say, come. That's an invitation. That tells us that God wants people to get saved. And he wants people to come to him. And he invites sinners to come to him even still today. And so that is to prove if he's still inviting people to come, why would he do that? If some people will never be saved or people get saved without choice that doesn't make sense it's not it, it's not logical and it's not biblical most of all so he does invite people to come to him however remember this as big and as gracious as that invitation is to come to him for salvation people still will turn away they were rejected let's look at the verse Matthew 23 and verse 37 Though the Lord gives invitations, people still turn away, don't accept the invitation. Matthew 23, 37. 23, 37. Alright, here's what it says. Look at the verse in your Bible. Are you looking? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together? That's what he wanted to do. Gather them together. Even, using nature to teach a lesson, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and watch surely the last part of this verse, and ye would not. What does that mean? And I want to do this. I want to gather to myself, but I can't do it because you would not. What is he saying? Was it his will to gather them together? Yes. And did they object? Yes. Did they refuse? Yes. So did he gather them? No. So because they willfully turned away his invitation, they were not gathered in. I mean, the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. Therefore, he said, okay, your blood be upon your own hands. So they crucified him. They said no to him. That's will. That's a free choice that they made. That is not locked in eternity that they were predetermined, predestined to say no to him, to reject him. They heard, we'll put it like this, they heard the gospel and said no. Now think about that. Think about this. You hear the gospel, how God can forgive your sins, how he can take you to heaven one day, and yet people say no. What would cause somebody to say no? Let me put it like this. Okay, are you thinking? Are you thinking with me? What would cause someone to turn away such a generous invitation? All right, let me illustrate by the keys that I don't have. So here's a pen that's worth, I've seen some expensive pens. Uh, when Peter's living here, he showed me a store in Alamoana about pens. It's a pen shop. P-E-N, fancy pens, all kinds of pens under glass, all kinds of pens sitting on felt, blue felt. The people that handle the pens in the shop, they wear gloves. They wear white gloves because the pens are so, so exclusive, so expensive. I saw pens, I'm thinking, that is not possible that a pen costs that much money. I saw pens that were $65.
Well, that was just the beginning. I saw pens that are worth $165. That was not the end of it. I saw pens worth $1,600. Pens, a writing pen. I asked a guy one time, I got the gloves. I said, wow, does it write good? He says, oh yes. I said, may I try to write? He says, well, here, let me give you a glove. You can try it. I wrote a piece of paper, that thing was so smooth, but I would not pay $1,600 for that pen. First of all, I might lose it, misplace it, then I'd cry. <laughs> if you were offered something, something like that, even something greater than that, why would you turn it away? This thing, why would you refuse such, a, such an offer? We have all heard as adults, if it's too good to be true, it's not true. If it's too good to be true, free, free. Too good to be true, it's not true. It's a joke, it's a scam. See? And so people are kind of, oh no, that can't be true. Whenever you see things come along, uh, an offer in print form or online, too good to be true, maybe it is a scam. But there are some things that are too good to be true, but it is true. It is true. It is true. I tell you, it is true. <laughs> there are some things too good to be true, but it is true. I tell you. <laughs> oh, I tell you. And when it comes to being saved, born again, having eternal life, it's not too good to be true because it's free, because someone has paid for the price of it. So, Hannah, I want to give you this pen. This pen is worth, oh man, it's a pen plus gear. This pen is worth $250 because it's red. It writes like, it writes like, I show you. <laughs> so smooth. But, and I'll give it to you, but if she never receives it from me, she's not gonna get it. She'll say, oh no, I don't want a red pen. That's her reason. Or she'll say, no, I don't want a pen right I show you. Nah, that's not too that's not too good. Or I'm too embarrassed to come and get it. Well, those are our reasons for not getting a pen. But I really bought it, I really paid for it, I really give it to her, but she refused my offer. A lot of people refuse Jesus' invitation because they have reasons. As a matter of fact, come to Bible verse here. Uh, come to well, Matthew 23 says, and you would not, that's the choice. Come to Luke chapter 14. Excuses, reasons for people not receiving Christ. They turn away an opportunity to be saved. Luke 14. Verse 12. 14, 12. Alright, Luke 14, 12. Then see he also unto him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or supper, Call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also did thee again, and in recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the mean, uh, the lame, and the blind, verse 14, that thou, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the, of the just. Uh, and then one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things and said unto him, Blessed be he is he that shall eat bread of the kingdom of God. Then he said unto them, A certain man bade a great supper, watch carefully, a great supper, and bade many. Invitation. An invitation. A big, I wouldn't say luau, but I'll say, how about this, a big barbecue. 
Yeah, let's have a big barbecue. He made a great supper of a great barbecue. Uh, <clears throat> baby back ribs, uh, beef ribs, potatoes, corn, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, sweet potatoes, sweet potato french fries, the whole works. Iced tea, great supper. Verse 17, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are not ready. That's a good sound. That's a good word. Time to eat. Time to eat. Verse 18. And they all with one consent, watch carefully, they all with one consent began to make, the word there is excuse. Began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, help me excused, sir. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. All of them made an excuse as to why they could not come to the feast. Verse 21, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his, he was insulted. Said to his servant, Go and quick, go out quickly unto the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the lame and the halt and the blind. And thy servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. I'll stop there because, because the idea of this parable you want to see is that people make an excuse for a free offer. So the timing of salvation is when you hear the gospel, you respond to it, and you receive Christ. But then you don't want to make excuses as to why you cannot receive Christ. And so uh, like Jesus said in Matthew 23, you would not. And in real life, people will not come to Christ for several reasons. And you have an example of that here in Luke chapter 14. Now, reasons for refusal. I'll give you some verses here. I'll just read them to you. Listen carefully. Proverbs 29, 25. Reasons people don't come to Christ. Generous invitation, but they won't accept it. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. It's called peer pressure. The pressure of others, your age, or your group of people who you consider friends or your associates or people that you uh, see weekly, uh, the pressure that they put upon you causes you to not want to become a Christian because of uh, you think they might laugh at you or because they've made fun of other Christians and now you've heard the gospel, you have a chance to be saved, but do you think, Oh, if I get saved, if I become a Christian, they would talk to other people here and they make fun of them, they'll make fun of me too, so I can't become a Christian. Peer pressure, the fear of man, bringeth a snare. I'll be the joke of late night TV. They'll make fun of me. They'll make memes of me. They'll mock me. And for some people, being laughed at is such a big pressure point, they'll not do something or they will do something so that they don't get laughed at. Now think about this. The fear of man brings a snare. Sometimes it'll cause a, a, a person, a young person, an adult, someone to not do something right because of the fear of them being laughed at. It's such a big fear. Or they won't do, or they will do something wrong to fit in so that people don't laugh at them in front of them. On two points, people will be afraid to do something right or wrong because of the pressure from people that they know. It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very hurtful thing. Because people don't get saved because of that pressure. Now also in 2 Timothy, turn over there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now you need to look at these verses with me. 
2 Timothy 2, 22 through 26. Another reason people refuse God's invitation for salvation. 2.22 Flee also, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity. See, that's a choice there, isn't it? Verse 22 is a choice. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, why, why, why? In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, why? If God peradventure will give them repentance through the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Verse 26 gives another reason why people refuse God's invitation for salvation. The devil has tricked them, blinded them, deceived them into thinking it's not that great. There's something better. I can do it my way. I don't need Christ. I don't need to be saved. Whatever the life the devil gives to that individual, unsaved sinner, he has been subtly deceived by the liar of all liars, and he has been told lies so much so that he would not believe. So the second reason people reject God's invitation is that people are deceived by the devil. Now, Frank Turek is a, an anthropologist living in our times. He's very good. He says, here's how you can tell if somebody doesn't really want to be saved. They'll ask questions, they'll argue with a, a Christian about why, 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 or how come, how come, how come. But then uh, he says, look, ask them the question. If I can prove that Christianity is real, would you become a Christian? That's the question asked somebody who's always arguing with you. He says, nah, I don't think I will. Then that tells him, the one trying to help him to see the truth, that he doesn't really want to get saved. And Frank Turek says, truthfully, you can't get some people interested in the gospel because they just don't want to be interested in the gospel. They just don't. They just don't. And so it's a moral matter. He'd rather enjoy the, the pleasures of sinful season. He fears that if I get saved, I'll have to stop doing certain things and I'll have to behave myself. They have it kind of right, but kind of wrong too. Because when the Lord saves someone, he, he helps a person clean up from the inside out. And then he doesn't want to do some things like he used to do. But he thinks, okay, I gotta obey this rule, I gotta obey this rule, and then the first commandment, the second commandment, I gotta obey all these commandments. That's what he thinks. So he says, no, I don't want to become a Christian. But he wants to argue, which is kind of a waste of everybody's time. So regardless of any reasons that people give to not be saved, the potential to be saved is there. The potential to be saved is there. Opportunity is there because the invitation is there, which means you can choose. Oh. Why do you think people advertise for products? Because people can be persuaded to choose to buy their products. I just got a phone call. Uh, this sometimes went about 10, 11 o'clock. I had clicked something online about uh, seat covers, and um, I responded back, too expensive, don't want to get this, too expensive. My car's not worth it, it's too expensive for my car. So I got a phone call from a representative of this company, of seat covers, uh, I'm so-and-so, uh, uh, 
You have to have to talk. I said, no, I'm on the road. I can't talk right now. Well, I just want to know. Uh, you replied. I said, I don't have time to talk. And before I could hang, she said, well, um, I'm not sure where you got the price from because you did say it's too expensive. I said, yeah, it's from your website. Too expensive. And uh, she said, well, I'd like to share some other options. I said, no, no, I don't want, I'm not interested. So she's trying to work with me. She's trying to persuade me. She's trying to get me to, to listen to her offer. I'm not listening to her now because she really wants me to listen to her offer. Okay, and you know, when you witness with somebody, if they, if you are persistent, sometimes they'll say, well, this guy really wants me to know something. Yeah, you know what? I think I'll listen to him. That works out like that too sometimes. But the idea is that you have to, um, you have to be willing to listen to, to the truth. Uh, Joshua 24, 15 says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve. A will, a will, a will. You have a will, you have a choice to make. For that, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.29 Envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Proverbs 3.31 That's about choosing. We all have a choice to make. Therefore, the idea that you are chosen to be saved in eternity without your making a choice is not true. Not true. You have to choose. You have to make a decision based on the gospel, based on the truth. And there are consequences for both things that you choose to do. You choose to be saved, you'll be saved. You choose Christ, you'll be saved. Choose not to receive Him, then you'll be still lost. You're already lost. You continue to be lost. So, that's part four about salvation. Hope all of it has been helpful. Alright, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time you've given to us to remember the important things about the gospel and help us, Lord, to be grateful that we heard it at some point and sometime in our life and thank you that we were able to respond to the gospel and get saved and we pray to help us to all recognize our need for Christ as Savior and help us to not put off receiving Christ but turn to you very soon I pray in Jesus name, Amen Amen, amen.